0: yeah, oh yeah, can I get up? Oh yeah, oh yeah, can I get up? What's up, enterprisers? Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we shape the mindset of the high achiever to think like an entrepreneur. We talk with masters of the craft to get the cheat codes to success, helping elite enterprisers level up and maximize their brand. I'm your host, Elsie, the mayor. Now let's get to it. All right. I'm super excited for this next conversation. I have with me the real Jason Duncan, uh, Mr. Jason Duncan, or can I call you JD since your hat has a nice logo and emblem on there? That's right. Before we get into any of the good stuff, can I get an oh yeah? Oh yeah. (laughs) Perfect. So we met through a mutual friend. A lot of times the really, really the best way to meet because they see a connecting thread between two people and they bring you together and you're like, oh, okay, I see why they connected us. So the first thing I kind of want to hit on is tell us a little bit about your story. How'd you get to the business, this one in particular that you're doing? And what are you passionate about these days?
1: My background is pretty interesting. I, I spent 13 years right out of high school and college in in pastoral ministry got a bachelor's degree in ministry. during a lot of that time I was also selling health and life insurance to small business owners as a way to supplement my income and then in 2006, I got really fed up with doing doing the ministry stuff. I just wasn't interested in it anymore it did not it did not stroke all of the the passions and desires that I had as a as a professional who wanted to make a difference in the world. So I went back to school, got a master's in education and started teaching, teaching eighth grade American history. And I spent four years doing that. And honestly, had the Great Recession not happened, I would still be doing that today uh, because I I loved teaching. I had a really, really good connection with kids. and, And I just I'm a teacher at heart. That's what I am. So but the Great Recession took my job. They couldn't renew my contract. I was the last guy hired in the building. And that's the way they made decisions last in, first out when they had to make cuts. So found myself as what I call an accidental entrepreneur. Started a business in 2010, friend of mine, and ultimately grew that business to multi-million dollar status, recognized in national magazines, and we were killing it. Things were going great. At the helm of operating that business full-time until, until 2019, 2020, in January 2020, I stepped away from daily operations and uh, let my team manage daily operations, eventually hired a CEO at the end of the year to run things. And what that allowed me to do is go discover my true purpose. You know, what am I really here on this earth for? Because I wasn't here on the earth to run a lighting company. I was here to do something different. And now I'm happy to say that I'm in liver- living in the center of my passion and desire. And that is to use my gifts of teaching and leadership to help other people become what they're supposed to become to get the results they want out of their life. So now I'm a uh, full-time professional business coach working with entrepreneurs who want to learn how to take a step back from their day-to-day operations so they can find their passions. That's, so that's what I do every day to help
0: people. That's awesome. And I heard that in, in your story. So dig into you. You start this company and you grow it to being successful. You make it sound easy. Was it as easy as you make it sound?
1: Oh, it was, it was so easy. Anybody could do it. <laughs> no, it was difficult. Uh, there were, you know, my story is is weird because when we started the company, uh, I gave myself a deadline of August the 15th. And I said, I told my wife, I said, listen, if I don't sell anything by August the 15th, I, I'll go get a real job somewhere. And the reason I picked that date was that was the last date I was getting a paycheck from the county. I was making, I think, $38,000 a year that year as a teacher. So my paycheck was not very big, but it was nevertheless a check that was coming in. And I thought, hey, I, that's my last monthly check. So that's whole summer, I was like, I'm gonna give myself this time to get this business going. And on August the 12th, three days before that, I closed what turned out to be, it wasn't immediately, but what turned out to be a $2.3 million deal. Wow. So my story makes it sound like that's all it took is like just did one sale and I was done forever. But in, in reality, that's not the way that worked. That first check that I got that day was $18,000. Now, if you remember what I said about my salary, so that's almost half of my annual salary I got in one check. The biggest check I'd ever seen in one place, one time. But then the next big check I got was like $627,000. And that's not did not go in directly into Jason Duncan's bank account, but it was money coming in. But there is a ton of stuff that that I had to learn on the fly and how to do and how to operate and where to get product, where to get installers. How do you do there? There were so many things. So, no, it wasn't easy. It was a lot of hard work, but it was very exciting. I could say that very exciting
0: hmm what, what was your favorite part of, of about the process? I, I kind of feel like I know the answer to this because I know that you're an operations guy, but what was your fa- favorite element of it? Was it the sales? Was it marketing? Was it the, the operations piece? What was your, your favorite favorite area?
1: Well, at that time, my favorite was the sale. I loved the pursuit. I remember that first big deal that we got. Uh, it was a hospital group that we, we sold. And I remember my partner and I joking after we got it, We got the deal and we looked at each other and said, well, now all we got to do is execute. (laughs) Which is like, how do you install a million LED lights into a hospital when there's only two employees? Like, how do you how do you do that? So we but we figured it out. So the sale, the sale for me was originally what I enjoyed today. I hate it. I, I would prefer never to sell anything ever again in my entire life. I hate it. Probably more than just about anything. I'm very good at it, but ironically, I don't like doing it. I, as a matter of fact, I just got off a, a sales call before we got on this show today, and I had to psych myself up for it, and I and I sold them, but I just don't enjoy that. I want other people to sell for me and let me now do my thing. So at the, originally, I liked the sale, Elsie. I enjoyed that part. And then as the company grew, and I really wasn't involved in sales as much, I really enjoyed the people, the organization, kind of putting all the pieces together, making sure a, you know, tab A fit into slot B correctly. Like I liked to making sure all that happened, organizing. I ran a pretty tight ship and we had a great company culture. Things were going really well. I, and I enjoyed that part of it. And today I enjoy helping other people get out of the minutia of running day to day operations and take a step back and look at the big picture so that they can have a business that pays them a, salary or an income without them having to be involved in the day-to-day.
0: Yeah, I want to spend a little time there after we kind of unpack the self-awareness piece, right? Because you don't get to where you are today without knowing, hey, I enjoy this, or hey, I don't enjoy this. So talk a little bit about the self-awareness piece, on really knowing the signals and embracing the signals and acting on the the information that you're getting from your core.
1: So I've always joked Self awareness is the key to recovery, and it's halfway a joke because of the context in which I usually say it. Because normally it's when somebody goes, "Oh, well, I shouldn't have done that," and I say, "Well, self awareness is the key to recovery." But that is, in fact, the the key to everything. I mean, I think you're astute for picking that up. An alcoholic cannot overcome alcoholism until he or she realizes or is aware that they have a problem with alcohol. Uh, someone addicted to porn, someone addicted to overeating, whatever the addictions are, or problems in life, you can't overcome it until you're aware of it. So for me, I've always had pretty good self-awareness, probably to my detriment at times because I'm overly analyzing what people may think. As a matter of fact, I was talking with a, one of my best friends this morning. We meet every every week for coffee and, and we were, talk- we're were we working through the Think and Grow Rich workbook right now, which by the way, I'd Highly recommend everybody to go through, but he's also, he's a mindset coach. And so we were going through that today. And, and that one of the things that we read through in the workbook this week was a failure, failure inventory, like going through things where you could potentially fail if you don't keep it in check. And one of those is fear of criticism of others. And I, I kind of have that. I'm not a people pleaser in the sense that I just want everybody to like me, but I do want everybody to like me in the sense that I don't want to be criticized. Being aware of that is really, really important. So I think you're astute for a point, uh, for seeing that in me. I also understand something. And I don't know who pointed this out to me. I don't know if it's an original thought from the person I heard it from. I don't even remember who taught me, but something called synthetic happiness. Hmm. You ever heard of synthetic happiness? I have not. All right. So, so this is going to blow your mind. At least it blew mine. So synthetic happiness is the type of happiness we get when we convince ourselves that what we have is the thing we want. And that's not true happiness. So a terrible example of this would be the color of your car. My car is blue, and I love it. I think it's gorgeous. I think i take I take pictures of it. when the sunlight hits it right, I think it's I think it's one of the prettiest cars out there. I, I think my car is gorgeous. but but I'm gonna tell you, when I bought it, I bought it, I bought it used, and it was a specific year and model that I wanted that I couldn't find anywhere. And I looked all over the country for this car. And I, when I finally found it, it was all the way in Sacramento, California, and I bought it and had it shipped. And the whole time I was thinking, oh, I don't want a blue car. I never want to. And I didn't like it because it was blue. But here's what's happened. In my life, synthetic happiness took over in the color of my car. I now think that car is amazing because I own it. What, what are my alternatives? I could go get it painted. I could go do something. But in fact, I've just created this synthetic happiness around the color of my car that originally I didn't like. Now, I've convinced myself that I really like it. So why am I bringing up synthetic happiness? Here's the problem with entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are victims of synthetic happiness. They think that the business and whatever they're doing in the business is what they want to do and what they should be doing. When in reality, if they backed up from it and were completely detached and said, do you want to work 70 hours a week doing that thing? And the answer in most cases is hell no. No, I would not want to do that. But we've created this this synthetic happiness in our lives that says, yes, that's who I am. That's what I want to do. So that's why, LZ, I'm so committed to coaching other entrepreneurs to figure out how to get back, get out of the daily operations so they can get over the synthetic happiness and truly find what makes them joyful and passionate and purposeful in their lives.
0: So uh, in my mind, being aware of a thing and mastering it are two different ballgames, right? How did you make that leap, right? To say, for for example, to go back to your alcoholic example, it's one thing to say, yeah, you know, I drink too much, (laughs) but it's another thing to to act and to do something about. How did you get over that, the hurdle of, uh, or the, the step Um, above the awareness to to self-mastery because now that spectrum of self-mastery where you know what you want what you don't want who you are who you are not and that has allowed you to build a company hire a ceo and get to where you are now what were some of the tools that you used to get to that that next level
1: I think there's lots of tools I use to get there specifically, but I think that the question behind the question is, you know, why how do we, people get motivated to that place where they actually want to change, even though they're aware of something that needs to change? And and change, there's always pain and change. It may not be immense pain, but there's some pain and change. I mean, I'm right handed, I brush my teeth with my right hand every day. But if for some reason my right hand is not available, I'm hurt and I have to brush with my left, that change is pain and can be because I might hit my gums or like I, hit, I do something. So anytime we change, there's pain in it. But when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change, that's when change occurs. So for me, the pain of staying the same, being trapped in the daily operations of that business was greater than the pain of changing, giving up not control, because I still have technical control of the company, but but giving up control of daily operations, giving up some of my salary to help offset what it was going to take to have other people run the business for a short period of time, giving up the pride and the identity and being the CEO of that company, which was probably the most difficult part of leaving daily operations was the identity crisis I went through. But when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change, that's when you make the difference. So someone who says, yeah, I drink too much. But then they don't make any difference is they they still see the pain of the change greater than the pain of staying the same. So they're like, hey, I don't, I, yeah, I drink too much, but it ain't that big of a deal. I'm on a quest to get down to my high school weight. I haven't been that since uh, I graduated high school, but that's ideally where I, I think my body should be. And and it's not been that way since high school. I've been out of high school for almost 30 years. So, But I'm now on that quest because most of my life, I just accepted the fact yeah, I'm a little overweight you know, I could lose 10 or 15 pounds, but yeah, it's okay. Well, now I look at that as someone who's approaching 50. I'm not quite there yet, but as approaching 50, you know, in the next several years, I'm going to hit that big five. Oh, like, okay, I got to start taking care of this body. And so the pain of the change now is not as bad as the pain of what it might be to stay the same. So entrepreneurs have to go through that same thing. You got to be aware that you need to change, but then also realize that I need to change. I heard uh, a friend of mine, Brad Lee, say this just, I guess just the other day, he said, you know, if you don't, if you're not willing to sacrifice for something, you end up sacrificing the thing for staying the same. So either way you're sacrificing. I probably butchered the way he said that, but if you're not willing to sacrifice for something you want, you're sacrificing the thing you want for where you're at today. So either way you're sacrificing. So you gotta, you gotta choose your sacrifice. You're either sacrificing the weight that you want to be, or you're sacrificing the health to not get there. So I don't know. I probably screwed that whole quote up. (laughs) That's my best attempt at it.
0: Makes sense. It makes sense. So let's talk stress and frustration for a second. I am, as we speak, I I, I pride myself on being relatively self-aware. And I'm on this journey of self-mastery as well. I happen to believe that it's a spectrum. And just when you get to about an eight, everything changes. And now you start from, not from zero, but you just get more efficient on becoming, on mastering the new self, right? So to your point at 50, you're gonna want different things. Your passions might be different than they were at 40. I'm assuming I'll make the the bold prediction that they are. And so, this constant evolution of of self mastery. But I'm I'm frustrated, and there are some areas uh, in my life that are stressful right now. So, if you had to show me how to work through that stress and frustration, how would you, how would you work me through that?
1: Well, I would think that there is a first of all a distinction between those two. They're two completely different emotions and completely different results. Frustration is a moment moment thing that can be cleared up just a, just a snap of a fingers. You could be frustrated that the bag won't open or the jar won't open. and You could be terribly frustrated. And then the moment it clicks open, you're like, oh, good. Frustration comes and goes really, really quickly. So I think one thing is you need to understand there's a difference between being frustrated and stress. Stress is in fact a real scenario and real thing that happens to us. And it usually happens over an extended period of time and is caused by many things, not just one thing. So that would be one thing I would say that, and I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but I've, I've studied enough about stress to understand there's a difference. So when my wife, for example, is commiserating with me, says, oh, I'm just, I'm so stressed out. I'm like, nah, you're just frustrated. Whatever the thing is, as soon as it's over, you're not frustrated anymore, right? So I think we get confused. And then the second thing is stress itself, contrary to popular belief, isn't caused by stressful situations, like the bag won't open or the jar won't open or something stuck or whatever stress isn't caused by stressful situations. Stress actually is caused by having too many open cycles at any one time. Then the reason I know that is there's a universal law, just like the law of gravity or the law of reciprocity or the law of thermodynamics, things that have been in that God put into the universe at the beginning of time. There's a law called the law of open cycles that teaches us that that says an open cycle is anything that you have to do. Anything that has a start and a stop. It could be a relationship. It could be a to-do on your to-do list. It could be, listen, today I woke up and I'm looking at my list of things I have to do. I had a call with this guy named LZ. Then I've got a podcast with this guy named LZ. Like you were two of my things I had to do today. And then I've got a call later with a guy named Ramon. I've got a mastermind meeting this afternoon. And then I just talked to my web developer a couple hours ago. And there are two big items I have to get to her today so that she can finish So we can launch this big thing I'm launching on my website. So all of those are open cycles. And the reason stress is felt by humans is when we have too many of those at once. Because, I mean, you could break it down. Look at this. The last big, terrible event in your life that you would look back and normally say, well, that was a stressful time. If you could isolate that thing and only had to deal with that thing, and there were no other things you had to deal with, it wouldn't have been stressful. I didn't say it would be pleasant, but it wouldn't have been stressful in the in the psychological sense of stress affecting us. And the other way I like to illustrate this is think about it this way, and, and I should have been prepared. I, I usually do a little physical. I could show your, your the people that are watching this, but I, I'm not prepared for it. But just imagine for a minute that if you wrote every single open cycle that you have in your life right now, which is I have to eat lunch today, for example. All right. And you put that on a single piece of paper and then that's one. And then you get another piece of paper and you're right, like, I have to edit this podcast. Okay. That's a single piece of paper. I have to take my wife on date night. Put that on a single pa- I got to go watch my son's karate match. Put that on a single every single to do li- to do or open what I call open cycles in your life. You put them on a single piece of paper. And then you bind all those pieces of paper together into a book. How thick your book is will tell you how stressed you feel. So if you have a thin book, there's not a lot going on, then you're not likely to feel stress. But if you have a very thick book, like you got War and Peace versus a pamphlet, you're going to feel stress. That is the reason humans feel stress. There is no other reason. And what we have to then do as entrepreneurs, as leaders, as fathers is we have to manage open cycles. And if we can manage our open cycles, stress is eliminated. I'm probably the least stressed person you will ever meet. And the reason is I understand this principle, I understand this law, and I apply it without any reservations. I 100% manage my open cycles. Therefore, I'm not stressed. Well, I had a, I had a former employee called me the most laid back, driven person she'd ever met. <laughs> because I'm very driven. I own five companies. You know, I'm very active in the community. I have a lot of things going on, but I don't feel stress. And when I start to creep up in stress, I realize the cause of it, and I start eliminating open cycles, and I'm back to normal.
0: So, eliminating cycles. Let's talk about that. How do you effectively eliminate cycles? So you. So I teach constantly- this
1: technique in my coaching platform, uh, the Ten Hour Entrepreneur. I teach this thing called an open cycles inventory. And what I teach people to do is just exactly what it sounds like. You're just going to take an inventory of the open cycles in your life. Now, the first time you do an open cycles inventory, it's probably going to take you three or four hours if you're doing it honestly and correctly and you're doing it thoroughly. And the way I recommend most people do it is with a whiteboard Just that way you can kind of step back and see everything. Don't ever do it on a computer or a laptop or a tablet or a phone. You need to do it where you're writing with a pen or a dry erase marker and you're writing all this stuff down. And you're going to list every open cycle in your life without trying to categorize them or think about them or overanalyze analyze them. Every single thing you just write on a whiteboard. And then when you're done with that, when you think you're done with that, I want you to call your wife or your husband or your business partner or your assistant and have them review that list with you and say, what did I miss? Because you missed some stuff because your subconscious is suppressing it. Uh, or your rather your conscious mind is suppressing it, but your subconscious mind really knows that it's there and it does affect you. You take it to your pillow every night. You just don't think about it. And then you'll add even more. And when it's all done, now you've got this big long list of all these open cycles. Then the second step is you're going to take that and divide that list into three categories. The first category are cycles that you can close immediately. Like by the end of the day, these things can go away. The second part of that list are going to be cycles that you can close within a few weeks but you certainly can't close it today. And then the third and final part of that list is going to be things that's going to take a lot of time and planning, maybe even help from a third party that you're not in control of to close. Like if you're refinancing your house and that's on your open cycles list, you're only in charge of so much at whatever point you're waiting on appraisers, or you're waiting on inspections or you're waiting on the mortgage guy. That goes in the third list. Once you have all that done, you start checking off those things in that first part of that list. You will immediately feel the stress melt from your body hundred percent of the time I've ever taken anybody to this exercise they say doing the exercise is it makes them feel stressed <laughs> but then once they finish they're like wow I feel so much better and I say that is evidence that the law of open cycles is one in 100 percent true because you start feeling better. I mean, if you're like me, you come into your desk and after a few days, it's kind of messy and things are piled up everywhere. If I just take 10 or 15 minutes and clean it up and get it all, whew, I feel better I, because all those little undone things are open cycles. That's how you deal with open cycles.
0: Now, is there um, a, an emotional, spiritual aspect to that when you're determining which cycles that you're going to leave open and leave closed? or is it just minimizing them
1: well i think it's just minimizing at the base level it's just getting your open cycles down to a manageable thing and then once you realize and understand what causes stress is open cycles if you start feeling stressed you know what it's related to and you could do a quick open cycles inventory it certainly doesn't take 3 hours once you know what you're doing because you can go what is on my list i need to take care of i mean i've got my date my planner right here on the desk next to me and and on in this planner there's a list of you know 10 or 12 things that I need to get done this week, and if I'm sitting here going, Oh man, I got a lot to do, got a lot to do, and I look down and go, Okay, that one I can do, that's all I do, I just get that one done, done, move on to the next one. That's the way I manage it. And then, furthermore, if people begin to try to open new cycles in your life that you know you can't handle because it'll cause stress, you just say, No, I can't do that. It allows you the opportunity to say no a lot easier. Uh, if my wife you know, came in and she said, because I work from home, she says, Hey, I need you to do X, Y, Z. There are times because she understands a lot of open cycles too. I've not just kept it for myself my kids know about it. My wife knows about it. My employees know about it. I could say to her, I have too many other open cycles. I can't right now. And she understands what that means. And then she will just politely walk away and hold that and then come back and say, Hey, you got time to deal with this?
0: Yeah, I got what's
1: up. And then I can deal with it. That way I'm managing it correctly.
0: Got it. Let's shift that to the business for a second. I heard you mention before you built this company. I can just imagine there's a lot of standard operating procedures that, <laughs> that are happening in, the, in this company. Talk a little bit about that as, as an entrepreneur, because a lot of times I, f- I find that it's hard for some people to let go. There's a maturation piece of that where they want to feel needed. So step us through like, your mindset through growing a company, realizing that you systematically have to fire yourself from all the aspects of the company and the, just the level of maturity that you need to have in order to, number one, embrace the fact that the company is now a different entity than when you started. It has a life of its own, and now you have to, to grow, almost grow yourself out of the company.
1: So there's this thing I refer to as hero syndrome. And the hero syndrome affects every entrepreneur. Nobody escapes it. And at the beginning, what the hero syndrome does, it teaches us that we are the hero. And if it's going to, if it's going to survive, we must save it. So the business is on our shoulders. We fly it from town to town. We, do, we save the crying babies. We save the damsels in distress. We put out the fires. We do, we do everything. We're the hero. We wear the cape. We wear it proudly. And that is fine in the first stages of any startup of any business. The problem is that's not sustainable. Long term, if any business maintains a hero at the helm, whether or not it's the CEO or the owner or some appointed person, if there is a a hero at the helm, you've endangered the life and the growth ability of that whole company. Because you think about it. I mean, the trillion dollar companies that we know about in the news today, the Googles and the Apples and the the Teslas and the, the Amazons of the world, they don't have a hero at the helm. Now we can name some of the people that we would think, well, Tesla, Elon Musk, or Bezos, and In reality, they're the they're a face, but they are not running day to day. They don't. They're not involved in all of the little minute tasks, uh, the minutia that has to go on every day. Uh, as a matter of fact, when when Musk bought Twitter, I, I I listened to him in an interview. The guy asked him how it's going. He said, "Well, I'm putting in about 120 hours a week at Twitter right now." He said, "I'm I sleep." And I Twitter. And then he went on to say, but this is temporary. Like, I've just got to write the ship and then I can't do this forever. I've got to let somebody else in. And then that's when he posted that poll about should I step down as CEO? And I think that was more tongue in cheek than anything else because he already knew he needed to. What you asked, Elsie, is about how do we step away? How do we do that? And I think we've got to overcome the hero syndrome. And the way that we do that is by first adjusting our mindset that we can't be the hero Even though right now we know how to do things better than everybody else, it's pretty arrogant to think that nobody could do it as good as us ever. You know, I mean, at one point we didn't know how to do it, and now we do know how to do it. So are we that good that there's not another human on the 8 billion humans on the planet that could do your job for you? That's a mindset issue. We've got to come to grips with the fact that other people have to do it. And besides that, you know, there's lots of reasons why being an owner-operator is a bad financial decision. I shot a video recently It'll be on my YouTube channel probably in the next month or so about why being the owner operator is a bad financial decision because it, it lowers the valuation of your business. You put your business at risk. You aren't diversified in your portfolio of investments. There's so many bad reasons. You have to release the hero syndrome and ditch the
0: cake. So, getting a little bit more granular, talk about the aspects of or the building blocks of a company that you can grow out of that you can walk away from or not walk away from, but hire other people to bring in so that they can run it better than you? Cause it's not so, that simple, right? You can't, you don't just grow the company and then.
1: Yeah. So there's four core principles that I teach as the basis around becoming what I call a 10 hour entrepreneur, which is the name of the, my online course. The book that I'm writing is called exit without exiting. How do you exit without selling the business? How do you get out of the daily operations? So there are four core principles around that. And interestingly enough, if you ask any coach or any guru or any author, any public speaker, what must I do to get myself out of the daily operations of a business? Most people would say, systems and processes, man, systems and processes. You got to get, you asked about SOPs and buddy, I've got them. Well, here's the thing. If you put in SOPs, you put in the systems and processes, but you don't embrace delegation, that isn't going to work. You're going to run all your own systems and processes. If you don't eliminate stress then you're still going to have a stressed out company. Stressed out companies don't perform as well. Systems and process is only one of the four core principles that I teach. And it's the third in the sequence. The first one's embrace delegation. You have to embrace delegation. Second is you have to eliminate stress. Third, you establish the right systems and processes. And then finally, the fourth one's invest in people. That's what I teach people all the time. And that, those four core principles will lead you. To a more free life, where you're not a job owner anymore, you actually own a business.
0: Very cool. I could talk to you for hours, Jason. But at some point, we have to <laughs> we have to wrap things up. If people want to learn more about your your programs, we you mentioned uh, some of the elements of a couple of them before, and or if they just want to say hi, how can they do that?
1: Well, I would love for people to connect with me on Instagram at the real Jason Duncan or LinkedIn at the real Jason Duncan. You can find me anywhere on a social media platform. If you type in The Real Jason Duncan, you're going to find me. But if you're particularly interested in the 10-hour entrepreneur course, as an entrepreneur, you're sitting there going, how do I live that life? How do I live the exit lifestyle without selling the business? How do I get out of the daily operation? How do I get out of the grind? How do I get that freedom that everybody said I would have when I'm an entrepreneur? The 10-hour entrepreneur course was developed exactly for that reason. It's based on my real-life experience of being the entrepreneur who did it And it's also based on the, you know, the dozens and dozens and hundreds of people that I've taught how to do the same thing to get out of the weeds of daily operation. So you can go to exitwithoutexiting.com to find information about that course, exitwithoutexiting.com. And uh, it's a 10-week course. And by the end, you will be spending at least 50% less time in the business and still have all the profit you had to begin with.
0: That is awesome. I may need to look into that course myself. (laughs) Come on,
1: we can do it. I got a special discount for people that bring me on their podcast. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time and and sharing your wisdom with us, Jason.
1: It's been an honor, Elsie. Thank you.
0: If you got value from today's show, we want you to join the Enterprises Elite email list for more nuggets and resources. And remember, No excuses, just execution. Go get it. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net.